0: Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode.
1: Welcome to this edition of the Officer Roll Call Podcast. This is Paul Paluso, the editor of Officer Magazine. I'm joined, as always, by Frank Borelli, the editorial director of Officer Media Group. How's it going, Frank?
0: Pretty good, Paul. How are you doing this morning?
1: Hey, pretty good. So in this um, this episode of the Roll Call Podcast, we're going to be talking about recruiting and retention. And in our September-October issue of Officer Magazine, we had a recruiting and retention special uh, section where we had a couple of different uh, articles in there, you know, different pieces of content talking about recruiting um, and retention and some of the challenges that agencies are facing and some of uh, the success stories out there. So if you first, Frank, can talk a little bit about um, over the last few years, some of the the issues that uh, departments have faced when it comes to recruiting.
0: Well, I, we could start with the whole defund and demoralize the police movement and how that has changed a lot of the perception where our younger people, the people coming out of high school, going into college, going into the military, they're not thinking about uh, how attractive it is to, to protect and serve. They're not, uh, excuse me, attracted by uh, the idea of how admirable it is or the sacrifices that are made and the, and the honor that's carried and all that. We're, we're having a huge problem simply getting people to step up and say, yes, I want to be a law enforcement professional. And then with the defund movement and all the budget cuts, having the money to hire enough people, has always been a challenge. Maintaining strength through retention has been a challenge. Um, and then when you you do go through all of that, you have the ongoing competition that's always existed between federal, state, county, municipal, and other agencies where you might, between all of them in a given area, have say 100 openings um, and you have 50 potential candidates. Uh, You know, and who gets those 50 to fill spots and and it's whoever's got the most money to offer, the best benefits to offer, uh, the most glamorous, the most glamorously perceived jobs to offer. Uh, It's just it's been an ongoing challenge, Paul, and thankfully, um, some of it's now, I don't want to say evaporated, but been reduced. Uh, You know, we don't have as much of the attack on law enforcement now as we did a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, you, you've definitely seen the uh, budgets come back a little bit. But even before you know the whole defund the police movement, um, you saw a lot of the departments uh, have their budget slashed and have a lot of uh, officers retire and being able to find new you know officers to come in. It has been a challenge, um, especially now. And in this piece that uh, Joe Vince wrote, um, no small wonders. He He talks to three different departments, two were smaller size departments. One is more of a midsize. He talks to the Hope Police Department um, in Arkansas, the Marion Police Department in Virginia, and the Frederick Police Department in Maryland, which is um, Frederick's uh, a larger department um, compared to the other two. But the existence among, you know, having the Baltimore Police Department and um, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, the competition there is very high. Um, So. What did you see here, Frank, with these three departments and some of the things that they've been able to do to not only recruit officers, but uh, keep them there?
0: So I want to comment in, in, uh, on this article particular because I love Joe's opening statement. You know, it's hard for law enforcement agencies to stay fully staffed. That goes along with water's wet and the sky's blue, as if it's just so obvious anybody that's got half a brain would realize it. A lot of people still don't. Um, it is very hard. For these agencies to stay fully staffed. As to what these smaller and mid-sized agencies are doing, um, you know, the way they go about their recruiting process and understanding, I, I hate to say it, their place in the hierarchy. Um, you know, you 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 need your officers to feel like they can grow up a career ladder that they can grow and develop their skills, you know, they have ultimate goals. Some people go into law enforcement and, and they just They've watched so much TV they want to have that gold shield of a detective um, and, and they need to know if they're high, if they're going to work for an agency that doesn't have uh, their own investigations division, you're never going to be a detective with that agency. So how are you going to help them attain that ultimate dream or that ultimate goal? Um, you know some agencies are just hiring now to develop officers that are going to be good at other agencies and they become a trusted source for quality officers. And that's, that's how they that's, that's their sales pitch is you want to go there, they, they're they not hiring right now, or you don't meet their requirements, but you come work for us, and we'll help get you there. Um, you know, they several of these folks talked about reputation, uh, you know, in the 80s, if you worked for a small municipality, it, it's sad to say a lot of times, the, the term town clown was thrown out, um, you know, for the officer that worked that little three, four, five-man agency, uh, the agency didn't have a reputation for professionalism or education or efficiency or, or anything that was really redeeming. Um, and these, uh, these agencies specifically, um, I know the one chief also says, the best recruiting tool you can have is a good department reputation for professionalism and effectiveness. Uh, and that goes a long way if your officers are respected then uh, you know the agency is respected the officers have can can grow um, you know it's it's the other side of that is just being able to reach the generation that you're trying to recruit out of you have to do it using their tools um you know putting putting an advertisement in a newspaper is probably not the way to go today uh you know you you've got to be reaching out on social media you've got to be presenting um, marketing spiel essentially for your agency and having everybody on the agency on board with that message. I I think I answered your question there.
1: Yeah, I I think also especially for these smaller agencies, um, you know, this isn't the NYPD or LAPD where they you know, can advertise throughout the country on websites, on billboards even in other states. Um, you know, they they really they do the best when they can focus on their community, uh, the smaller agencies, and in, in like they say, word of mouth, and uh, just getting a good foothold in their community. Um, what, what you've seen where they've had some sec- success is we're uh, seeing themselves as being partners uh, with nearby agencies instead of competition. Uh, a lot of times with smaller agencies, they're afraid that their officers are going to use them as a stepping stone. Um, but in the case of like the Hope Police Department, they kind of, you know, view that as a plus where you know, officers co- come in and then maybe go and work on a federal level or for a larger agency. Um, and in another example, uh, the Frederick Police Department, when uh, Joe talked to the, the chief there, they actually talk about how departments that are smaller than them, they'll, you know, refer that officer to that department in the hopes that, uh, if they might not have room yet in the hopes that later on that officer could come back to them. So I, I think that that whole idea of partnership and also, um, you know, getting a foothold in your community and, and really, uh, you know, connecting with the public, uh, yep. it, it is something that a lot of these, uh, a lot of these departments, uh, really, really thrive off of. Um, Another thing that these chiefs talked about too, Frank, was uh, opportunity. That, you know, being in a smaller department, you can do more and learn more and and kind of take ownership. Um, How have you seen that in smaller departments versus larger departments when it comes uh, to being able to have, I guess, multiple, um, multiple jobs within the department versus being, you know, put into one role?
0: Well, and that, that's um, something we've talked about in other call, in other uh, podcasts, it, when The smaller you are, the more hats you have to wear, right? So if you have a 15-man a agency, um, they might have grant money for a DARE officer and somebody gets assigned to be a DARE officer, but what they really want to be is a canine handler. Well, in that small agency, you might be that nimble. The chief might be able to say, okay, find the money for the canine, and you have a DARE officer who's now also working a drug dog or a bloodhound or something else. They become canine handler as well. Um, you, you have officers who might do investigations. I know of an agency's 20 man, 22 man agency, and they have two dedicated investigators, which is a lot for a 22 man agency. But they get away with it because uh, one of those investigators also works uh, traffic enforcement specialty assignments. And the other investigator is one of their their trainers, he's one of their firearms instructors. So, you know, wearing the multiple hats uh, is both a challenge and a blessing. Because it allows the officers to attain some of their own personal goals, but then they have to stay up on all of the certifications and training requirements for every different hat that they're wearing. You know, I joke about how in really small agencies, they don't have a cyber crime division and the guy who plays the most Fortnite is the gentleman who, mm-hmm. or the, the the female officer that's uh, hooking up everything because the, the chief doesn't know anything about he doesn't know what an HDMI cable is or um, CAT 5E. He, he doesn't know what those terms mean. Um, so, you know, the officer that has the most knowledge is simply leaned on to do it. Um, it may not be a matter of qualifications. Uh, it's, it's really a mixed blessing when you look at those smaller agencies and the way they can do things.
1: So I I wanna briefly jump um, to an article that I had in the July, August issue. Um, The Command Q&A feature, which you guys can also listen to the Command Q&A podcast as well that we have. Um, This was with Sheriff John Pollack from the Branch County Sheriff's Office in Michigan. And it was about recruiting and retention challenges uh, that they have faced. And he lists a bunch of stuff here. the current misrepresentation of law enforcement, um, like you said before, Frank, the uh, defund the police uh, calls from, from before, you said that that's really caused a lack of applications. And then when you couple that with uh, low pay, um, with smaller you know, law enforcement agencies like theirs, it's really uh, been a struggle to recruit more um, new officers and keep the ones that they have um that they've gone through several budget cuts uh throughout the last few years. Uh, they also talked about competition where counties that surround them in not only counties but they have neighboring states uh that can easily lure their officers away and that um that just overall he's seen he's been chair for uh 10 years now he's seen a lot of changes Um, but that at the same time, he, he thinks that smaller agencies like his can really, um, you know, do a good job with keeping their officers on board by connecting with them better than a larger agency can and offering them opportunities. He said things like drone patrol dive team and SWAT is something that, you know, their, their patrol officers can have the opportunity to do, um, versus being with a larger agency like say Wayne County, um, in Detroit uh, could have, uh, one of the neighboring agencies to them. Um, so let's segue from that um, article, Frank, to talking about your maintaining standards while ma- meeting recruiting roles, Issues is from the September-October issue. And just if you can just briefly talk about um, some of the things you talked about, some of the challenges that uh, law enforcement agencies face.
0: So, you know, we've come a long way from Uh, the 60s, when um, a lot of agencies, the the people who got hired were just, uh, you know, the sheriff's buddies or the the chief's buddies or buddies or anybody who stepped up who had been in the military and was therefore considered uh, adequate to wear a uniform. Um, and, And we moved through an entire process of uh, it, and it's evolved where you have an application and a, at a written test and a verbal interview and a psychological profile and a physical fitness test and a drug test. And, um, you know, we, we've got so much going on now and the laws have changed uh, considering disabilities. Uh, I'm a guy I've been wearing glasses all my life, right? using myself as the example. There was a time when um, even if you wore glasses that corrected your vision to 2020, your uncorrected vision couldn't be worse than whatever the standard was that was set. I remember when it was twenty seventy. I remember when it was twenty one hundred. I remember when they did away with it and they said correctable to twenty twenty. Um, things have evolved. We used to have. Uh, so, to to focus on your question, <clears throat> when we used to have the The standards that used to exist when they were first developed, everybody wants to hire, every, you know, wants to keep everybody held to a high standard. We have fitness tests, and at the time they were push up, sit ups, and run, and some agencies had Olympic level times set as requirements for their run, or, um, you know, special forces military grade push up and sit up requirements for for their hiring standards. And it was a little bit ridiculous, um. But then as time went on and we we had um, uh, equal opportunity that it had to be uh, an affirmative action that had to be met. And you had to hire a certain number of minorities. And uh, in some places, the opportunities weren't the same for all demographics. And to equalize some of the opportunities, sometimes the standards were changed. Uh, In some cases, the standards were lowered, say, for the written test, uh, but not for the physical test, or they were lowered for the physical test, but not for the written test. And I think one of the things I've always kind of preached about is I I hate to see us lower standards to meet some mandate. Let's just hire the best person for the job. Um, I've been a big believer in, in set your standards and... Just whoever gets the highest scores on the written test, whoever does best on the on the physical fitness test, whoever does best in the oral interviews, um, you know, they pass the drug test, they have a clean criminal background, their psyche vow says they're not homicidal, suicidal, don't have a God complex, make them the job offer, <laughs> excuse me, make them the job offer. Let's just hire the best qualified candidates that can, that can serve our communities the best, I think ought to be the end goal, but sometimes it's a challenge to do that when you get a whole bunch of legal mandates or restrictions on what you can test and can't test and who you have to hire or can't hire. I think it becomes a challenge.
1: Now, frankly, um, okay. Yeah. yeah, We, we talked about, um, news that came out just the other day about, um, this department and, Pennsylvania, the Lancaster Bureau, Bureau of Police uh, unveiled a new or unveiled an agility course as part of its recruiting cycle kickoff. Yep. Um, can you know? You talk about this because you know agility courses and um, you know physical uh, assessments have have been a long a part of um, of not just the recruitment and application process, but making it through the academy and and can. I guess, in, in a way, be a deterrent sometimes, like you talked about being helped at such a high standard. Um, can you talk about what they're doing in Lancaster and how that may help uh, with their recruiting?
0: Well, so one of the biggest challenges, though, too, Paul, was that the, the physical standards being used had no applicability to the job that would be done, right? So for, for a hiring agency to say you have to be able to do 50 push-ups and 50 sit-ups, but you have to do both in uh, three minutes. And then you're gonna go run two miles, and you have to do it in this amount of time. Well, running can be part of the job. You, you chase people, but I've never ever seen a police officer on duty be required to do fifty push-ups or sit-ups. It was purely a measure of um strength and uh, endurance. And there was no you know, then eventually flexibility got built in. What we've come to realize is that if we're going to test an officer's physical abilities, we ought to do it for the stuff that they do or might be required to do on the job, right? Let's make it job applicable. So uh, for instance, in this one, they they start out sitting in a patrol vehicle. Well, that's where police officers start most of their calls for service. So here you are sitting in a patrol vehicle. You have to exit the vehicle, climb a five foot high wall. That's, that's not uncommon. Crawl under a two foot high by 10 foot long obstacle. So we're going to crawl under two feet for 10 feet of distance. Climb through a window. That's a realistic possibility. Identify a suspect and drag that 150-pound dummy for 15 feet. Um, and all of that testing is inside of about 150 yards. Now, if you can do that stuff, those are all things you might actually have to do on the job. Now, to make sure you're doing it fast enough and we're testing your endurance levels, <clears throat> they set a time limit of one minute and 36 seconds. That's excellent. Um you know, what what we're seeing is we're getting away from agencies setting standards and then modifying those standards based on height, weight, gender, um, age. And and the military's done it forever, and that's where most agencies picked it up from. You know, if, if you're in the army, you have fitness standards that are based on your age and your height. Based on your age and your height, you have a maximum weight allowance, and then you have standards that you have to meet for push-ups and sit-ups and run, or now the military's changed it for their Army, uh, the Army has for their combat fitness test, which involved deadlifts and other stuff, which is much more applicable to what you might do as a combat troop. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I think that's where the focus is, and I like to see uh, what agencies like Lancaster PD are doing, where we give an agility test, we give a fitness test, and it's applicable to what might you might have to do on the job. I know of a sheriff's office where... They give the recruits, obviously, empty, unloaded firearm, but they have to pull the trigger 30 times with each hand. And you think, well, how hard is that? You just pull a trigger. Well, you pull that trigger 30 times, and it's a 12-pound trigger. Your forearm muscles really start to feel it. Can you really do it? Can you pull the trigger 30 times with both hands? Some people do it with their strong hand, not their support hand. I love seeing these tests that are more job performance applicable and less. I objective to strength overall. I I, I think this is a better way of doing it. I like to see the changes.
1: Yeah, one thing that Lancaster's doing is not only, you know, changing their agility uh, course and and standards, but but, uh, be able to offer it out there to potential recruits uh, so that they can try it and see where they are. And um, also something that they're doing as well, you have to be able to, you know meet the standards to enter the police academy you no longer have to meet the standards to just become a recruit um to, to take that first step and one thing that they said in this report was that you know that that the recruits can do this and that they will work with them to you know make sure that they can um complete these you know exercises and and you know pass the course so that they're ready and i, I think that is uh it just goes to show that when you can connect with the community and you can set up a partnership and not, um, you know, it's different than it used to be where you you would, departments would expect to have people knocking down their door and they can pick and choose. Now you have to actively go out and uh, try to get these people. Yeah, um, you have to make, you have I, to work. I think that's what they're doing. Exactly.
0: You have to work to make it an attractive calling. Um, The only thing I would do different, I think, looking at especially at this piece about Lancaster, I I love the fact that they're putting it out there. I love the fact that people could try it out and see where they stand. I think anybody given these tests, the agency should keep a set of generic duty belts with blue guns and, and batons and handcuffs and all of the weight that you would normally wear, body armor, everything, and test in that. Taking this agility test in... PT clothes, you know, sweats and a T-shirt is a, an entirely different proposition than doing it in utility pants uh, with a gun belt on with 10 pounds of stuff in that gun belt, wearing soft body armor under a T-shirt or a duty shirt. Different thing. I think we need to do that. But yes, they ab- the agencies absolutely now have to work to make it an attractive calling rather than just picking choosing from the people knocking down the door.
1: I'd like to thank everybody for joining us on this uh, episode of the Officer Roll Call Podcast. As always, if you have any questions, suggestions for us, reach out at editors at officer.com. And uh, thanks for joining us on this, uh, this episode, and we look forward to joining us on the next one. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.